Every company has breakdowns in their revenue process. Sure thing deals slip into next quarter, competitors creep in and swipe deals away at the last minute, and deals getting single threaded that don't get to power. These are just a few examples of revenue leak, but there are a ton more, and they're preventing your team from reaching their sales targets. That's why I'm such a big fan of Clary's revenue platform. It's the only tool that actually helps leaders take control of their revenue and thrive through any market conditions, especially when things get tough. You can't afford to miss a single detail, but you also can't be leading by gut. Clary combines the science and the art of sales and sales leadership. So go to Clary.com if you want to answer the most important question in your business. Are you going to meet, beat, or miss on revenue? Welcome to the Live Better, Sell Better podcast with your host, Kevin Dorsey of Inside Sales Excellence, the number one Patreon group and YouTube channel for tech sellers and tech sales leaders, where we dive in deep for tactical advice on how to book more meetings, close more deals faster, and lead sales teams to success. But we don't stop there. We also focus on the person in salesperson. We talk about mindset, goals, time management, and so much more. So thank you for listening. And if you're interested, head on over to patreon.com slash inside sales excellence. Now with that, grab a notepad, get ready, and let's dive into the good stuff. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Live Better, Sell Better podcast. This is your host, Kevin Dorsey, aka KD. And today we're talking full cycle. This is an unsupported demo. This is an unsupported episode. We're diving in with Alexine Moudoir on being a full cycle account executive, right? Now, this is near and dear to my heart because anyone that's ever worked for me knows that prospecting is something all of my reps do, whether you are an SDR or a senior account executive, everyone is responsible for generating pipeline. And Alexine has been super successful with it across industries for almost a decade now. She's done door to door. She's done SaaS. She's now a LinkedIn top voice, Preds Club winner, top 100 sales stars, and a literal ninja, which we're going to dive into a little bit here. But Alexine's here to teach us what it's like to be a full cycle AE, what she focuses on, how she balances her time. And not only has she been super successful in her roles, but she also gives back. She's not a lone wolf salesperson. She's also mentoring and teaching and working to get more diverse people into the sales industry. So I'm so excited to have her here. So enough about me. It's all about her. Alexine, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Now I'm I'm pumped. You know, Alexine and I have been in like the same circles, right? Or called the same squares, but our circles <laughs> have never really overlapped. And so it's fun to finally get you on here. And so we're gonna dive right in. Is what people love about the show is we get right into like the good stuff and we navigate from there. So let's start with this. Why should all AEs prospect? And I know it's gonna catch some people off guard because they're like, oh, I'm an AE now. I'm a closer. I don't have to prospect. Why do you believe all AEs should be generating pipeline? Yeah, I mean, there's a million reasons that that AE should be prospecting. Um, you know, my personal reason, the main one is, I think it's good to keep your toolbox. I think it's good, it, like tightened up. I think it's good to keep your teeth sharp and just keep learning these new tactics because we're constantly changing the way that we're selling to folks. You know, now we're working on 
video. We're starting to test new methodologies. Those are changing constantly. So in order to be at the forefront of that and be up to date on things, you have to be on the front lines and testing some of these different methodologies. So I think, you know, if nothing else, just for yourself so that you can stay at the top, you know, the, the cream rises to the top and the companies right now that are looking for salespeople are looking for the top of the herd. So that's why I think I would definitely focus on it. And something you mentioned actually before we started recording is you said you just dove into a full cycle role. Like you, you didn't start as an SDR. You didn't start there. You started with having to learn how to prospect and close. So how did you develop the prospecting skill? Because some of the topics you've been talking about recently are all on prospecting. You're teaching people how to get through like the noise. How did you develop that skill when it wasn't specialized? Right. When you didn't spend two years just learning how to prospect, you had to prospect and close. So how did you actually get good at it? Yeah, I mean, great question. I wish that I had like a really scientific method that worked well. And I did all these great things. If I'm being honest, I picked up the phone. I mean, like one weekend of my first sales job, I just started cold, cold calling and I didn't really know what cold calling was. I didn't know what a platform was. I didn't understand what a CRM system was. So there was a lot of like methodology when I started out in sales that I didn't even understand. But all I saw was I have this KPI, this 15 to 20 demos I have to set a month and it's staring me in the face. And the only way to get there is just to get going. So rather than, you know, kind of, I probably should have done a little bit more learning up front, but rather than doing that, I just jumped in head first. And it's the same thing. I mean, I started a new job um, two weeks ago and I'm prospecting already. I mean, you just, for me, I like to dive in head first. I'll learn the talk track as I go. I'll get more comfortable with everything and I'll start to learn the objections, but I can't do any of that until I just start having conversations with people. So where does that lack of fear come from, right? Because what, what I'm hearing there, right, is like, I just dive in. Yeah, I don't maybe know what I'm going to do, but I'm just going to go. Has that always been your style? Like just always to like jump in and figure it out as you go? Or is that something you also developed over time? Um, I think it's a little bit of my style. Like I was always kind of a, you know, a little bit of a different kid in terms of um, my mom owned a restaurant and catering business. So I grew up in a very social setting from the time I was born, basically. I mean, she would have like these big wine tastings with 50, 60 people. And I was, you know, like three, four years old. And I'd be like working the door, greeting people. So I think I just had like a little bit more of a socialized background in terms of getting comfortable talking to people. And I used to really sell in her restaurant. Like that was my first sales job is she would just try to get rid of inventory and hand me like a box of jams or a box of salsas. And then I would spend the day trying to sell that. And she'd give me like a beanie baby if I could sell it off. So I feel like for me, I had like, a really cool introduction to sales that was a little bit of a different flavor. Um, but I think a lot of it is my background and just being connected to people from an early age. So there's that level of comfort. So then when I think about like outreach from there, I just think of it as I'm talking to a human being. Like I'm not calling, you know, this celebrity, like I'm calling, you know, like a CIO or I'm calling, you know, these people are not, you know, necessarily like the most famous person in their field. It's just a human being. I'm having a conversation with them. And it's either going to hopefully go one of two directions. And then I know by the end of that call, which way it's going. So, um, so I think my childhood had a, a big part in it for sure. So something that um, I've seen now more and more through the years, and it used to be something very different that I looked for is like this idea of being social, right? A lot of salespeople believe they are very social creatures, which they are. But what that also sets up is taking rejection really hard, right? People love to be social, but they're not used to rejection. 
right? They're used to the butterfly. They're jumping around, right? They, they're good at making friends. They're not used to dealing with rejection. So how do you deal with rejection? Because also it's a full cycle AE. You get both rejections. So you get the prospecting rejection, but you also get the closing rejection, right? So how do you deal with that? I guess by, you know, I guess let me rephrase the question. How do you keep your mood up? How do you keep going, right? When you get both sides of the rejection. Yeah, and that's a great call out. I know nobody's really called that out before. It's it's very simple, but it's a good point. I think for me, um, I've been in this long enough, and the fact that I started out and was just constantly getting hurled rejection, you know, from day one because I was basically had no really understanding of sales when I jumped into it. Um, I think that kind of helped me build some calluses, and I got like a little more comfortable from the onset. Um, outside of that, I mean, for me. I don't feel like I've definitely separated myself from the experience. So it's like, you, you know, there's Alexine, but then there's like Alexine that gets rejected is not part of this person. Like, it's just something that's going to happen. I know that it's part of the process. A lot of times like a rejection isn't them rejecting you as a salesperson. Like they're not saying like, I don't like you, Alexine. I've had deals where, you know, I really thought it was going to close and I have the best relationship. And then COVID hit or something, you know, there's just mm -hmm. things out of our control sometimes. So I think if you can kind of take yourself away from that and just understand that it's part of the process, it's not ever going to be like a personal attack on you unless you're seeing a consistent trend and then it might be, but most of the time they're rejecting, um, something that may be outside of your control. And if they're not, if it is something that's within your control, then that's something that I need to work on, educate myself, get better at, and then I won't have that happen in the future. So I'm very educational in terms of my outlook, like whatever the outcome is, either it's a learning experience or a success. But even when I like, I've had deals that I've worked for over a year and when they finally close, it's just kind of, you know, I'm, I don't have like a huge celebration. Like sometimes it's just like, all right, cool. It's done. Like I got the deal. And that's the same way with rejection too. So I feel like I kind of try to land somewhere in the middle there. So I'm not you know, constantly go flying high and then sinking low. And that ping pong effect is just the worst for salespeople. Yeah, no, it is like the way I tell like my teams and reps, right. Is prospecting. There's more rejection, closing the rejections more personal mm -hmm. because you put, you did, you put a year into it. You put six months, eight months. That has been like your baby for eight months. And then when the no comes back, it's like, Oh, whereas when you're prospecting, you get a no, you can always just make another call. You can always, all right, well, I knew I was going to get that no and go and go through it. And so now we're starting to dive into the duality of a full cycle role, right? Of all the things you have to manage. So how do you manage your time, right? Because that's always something a lot of it you just say, well, I don't have time to prospect. I don't, I don't have time to prospect. I'm closing deals. And I'm like, hmm, that's weird. I've yet to see anyone close for eight hours a day weird so how do you manage your time right like how do you prioritize when you're going to prospect versus when you're doing your follow-up when you're scheduling your demos things like that yeah so it's a good question when you know my first few years in sales i didn't manage my time so i was up till 3 a.m most nights doing emails and it was not healthy um so i do not recommend that method um but i was working basically like 18 to 20 hours constantly because I was so hungry and I just wanted it so bad. What I realized is that wasn't necessarily a healthy approach to it. Like I did need to. And what I realized too, is there was, as you know, there was a lot of dead time in there too. So that wasn't like 18 straight hours of me working. What was happening is that, you know, there were chunks of time where I wasn't, you know, optimizing my work time. And then there was like 
the 3 a.m. where I had a really productive hour. So I was like, so I got to this point where I couldn't do those really late nights anymore and do events and teach outside of work. I had to scale it back. So I started to kind of strip out some of those dead spaces and figure out like, what did I actually work on today? What actually took up my time? And then let me try to block that into my calendar. So I do a lot of calendar blocking. I'm actually going to do a post on this on LinkedIn today, but um, I do um, like call blocks or prospecting blocks. Tuesday is my prospecting day. It's been my prospecting day for seven plus years. I don't know if there's data that correlates to it, but I, in my mind, there is, I call it Alexine data. So an Alexine data Tuesday is the best prospecting day. And um, so I block time for um, most of Tuesdays. I'll prospect um, the new team. I just joined. We actually do call blocks as a group and we do blitzes two times a week. So we'll do two hours on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So that fits in perfectly to my, um, my data point. And then, um, and then outside of that, it's just managing, understanding, you know, when am I going to have demos? So maybe I have two demos a day that I need to work around those. And then I create like 30 minute blocks where I need to do all my admin work too, because I, that's what I think is the biggest disconnect between why people aren't prospecting is this idea that they have so much admin work as a salesperson. You and I know this, like we don't have that much admin work. It's like one discovery checklist or like one demo check. Like it's not. Like, mm -hmm. will this be realistic? So I try to block off, say, like 30 minutes and get through my demo checklist for the day or do them at the end of the day, get them populated in the Salesforce, make my updates in Salesforce. And then I do kind of like a weekly cleanse of the system, usually on Fridays, to make sure like all my tasks are in the right places. So, um, so I think I've just tightened it up a lot and been really um, just had like kind of a, I don't know what to call it, a come to Jesus moment with mm -hmm. myself where I was like, I need to just figure out what I'm actually doing with my time and then strip out some of that dead space because it's not working. It's so funny. My my reps know this. I tell them it's a blessing and a curse that I was a former SDR and AE and full cycle <laughs> AE. It's a blessing and a curse for you. It's a blessing because I understand. I understand. I understand the ups and downs. I've gone through it. I understand the rejection. I understand how hard it can be. But at the same time, I understand. I know how much downtime there is. I know where people cut corners. I know how much admin you have, right? Actually, I can't, I'll have to go find it after this, but they, a study just recently came out, a study like 4,000 or 6,000 some salespeople. And the number one commonality between like the top 5% was CRM data cleanliness. Mm -hmm. Like actually putting all their notes in and leveraging like the CRM, right? So like, so you don't have to remember yeah. all these things. And so now you'd mentioned like now you're also teaching, right? So I'm going to take this back a second. What is something you wish someone had taught you when you first started, right? Because yeah, you dove right in. Yeah, you kind of figured it out as you go, but you mm -hmm. also were spending mornings till three o'clock and doing a lot of things trying to figure out. What do you wish someone would have taught you when you were first starting as a full cycle AE? Uh, there, I mean, there's a number of things. Uh, selfishly, I'm glad it, that they didn't teach me anything, if I'm being honest, because it forced me to just, you know, push through a brick wall. And I, by the end of my first year in sales, I was our top sales rep at that company. And I was against like 30 salespeople at the time with the least amount of experience on the entire team. So for me, I'm super grateful that nobody taught me really anything when I started. But if I had one skill set, even before starting sales, it really would have been that time management piece because, I, you know, it, it works really well in your early 20s going off of like three hours of sleep. But, you you know, 
at this point, it's not as fun to do those kind of nights, especially if I have like teaching events, plus speaking events, plus podcast, this, that, and the other. Um, it gets really heavy really fast. So I do wish I kind of would have learned some of those skills a little bit earlier on and gotten, you know, more religious about how I manage my time. So how did you become number one? Right. So I told you earlier, as I'm going to make you get tactical, I'm going to make you get specific. Yeah. Right. So here, here's Alexine. We're back a decade. She's bright eyed, bushy tailed, <laughs> first into sales, gets a full cycle role. And somehow within a year beats out 29 other reps to be number one. How, how did you rise the ranks that fast? I cheer inability to not succeed. Like there's nothing else. I had tunnel vision and I just wanted to be the best. And I like, I did, I was pretty competitive at the beginning. Like it wasn't pretty at certain points and I, you know, I own that, but in other ways I was more the most competitive with myself. And this hasn't changed. Like my top competitor is Alexine every single time. Like that's who I'm up against in every single deal. But with that role specifically, I mean, I was doing sometimes a hundred set. I have my old call records. I actually took like yes. a couple sna uh, snapshots from it. I mean, I have one showing 175 plus cold calls. Like I would leave and my makeup would have melted off my face. Like it was just crazy. So, I mean, a lot of it was just the sheer inability to accept that I wasn't going to be number one. And I think, you know, it's so interesting because I was surrounded by people. Some of them had like 10 years of sales experience. And so they would tell me, you know, they, they kind of had this air about them sometimes. And they would tell me like, I'm the top salesperson, like you're never going to beat my numbers. Um, and I was like, whatever, dude, like that was my attitude. Like everything was just whatever, dude. And then I just went after it. So, I mean, there isn't like a lot of science there, but there is a lot of back work that went into it. I mean, I was constantly, if you looked at the leaderboards, you could see a direct correlation between the number of demos I was running and uh, the number of demos I was scheduling and running myself versus my revenue that I was bringing in. So, and I also hyper-focused, which, you know, maybe unpopular opinion, I also hyper-focused on the market I thought was good at the time. So when I first started out in sales, I spent like probably 20% of my time on small businesses, um, another 60% of my time on midsize that was like our main customer market and then only 20 percent on enterprise whereas most of my team would spend like 80 percent of their time on enterprise but that wasn't who we were selling to so i ended up in one in one year closing three of our top 10 largest clients for the company but at the same point i really wasn't focusing on that subset of the market because out of those uh, you know out of that 20 percent three was a really small number so it, it wasn't actually like that you know, if you look at it and really peel it back, it wasn't that great of a, a metric to track. So I think for me, really hyper-focusing on what was the best market for us and then spending my energy there. So, and I hope everyone listening, like, listens to what she did, right? Because a lot of people will talk mindset, right? Like, I wanted it more. I'm competitive. I refuse to fail. But mindset drives behavior. And so her behaviors, she put in more activity than other people. She figured out her market. She doubled down on the place where she could be successful and didn't wait for someone else to tell her. Right. And that's what happens often is like, you know, people will talk mindset all day long, but then the behaviors aren't there. Right. Every salesperson believes they're competitive. Hmm. Right. They all say they love to succeed. They all say they want to win. They all say they're gritty. They all say that but the behaviors don't always match. Right. And so now we've been talking prospecting quite a bit. Let's get a little bit more tactical there. Right. So it sounds like calling is like one of your favorite channels, right? I've heard cold call, 
a lot here, right? How yeah. do you approach, how do you approach a cold call? Right? Like, you know, you said something earlier, right? Like you're calling humans. I like the way you phrase it. They're not like a celebrity. They're not, they're not famous, <laughs> you know, like they're a person, right? So you're already approaching it from the mindset of it's a person, but then how do you approach that cold call? Right? Like what are some of your favorite tactics there? First and foremost, calmly. Like, I think that's the biggest, like, disconnect for cold calls is people go into these and they're, like, freaking out. And then your energy, like, people, there is energy that is emitted via voice and tonality. So it's, like, as soon as, like, the person on the other end, there's a CRO that you're calling on and they're super busy. And then all of a sudden, like, you sound stressed out. So then you just stress them out. And it creates this, like, you know, just effect that's awful. So I think first and foremost, just like calmly, like I like to just take a deep breath, make a call, um, like center myself, like do a little moment. Um, and then I just have a conversation. Like there's no, like, I, I mean, it sounds silly to say there's no, like, like there is technique to it, obviously. But I was going to call you out there. I was just like, you're not <laughs> no, just having conversations. <laughs> a lot of times, like what works well for me that I try to do is just, strip away some of the fear. I think one of the biggest things that happens when we cold call is these companies feel like if I say yes to this meeting, I'm stuck with this salesperson for maybe the foreseeable three to six months. Like they're going to be, uh, there's going to be an onslaught of emails an onslaught of calls, da, da, da. So I try to strip that away from step one. So a lot of times when I'm cold calling, you know, it's a very tame, like introduction. Like this is Alex seen at this point, I may have like interacted with them on LinkedIn a little bit. So I'll probably like, you know, Say I saw that you follow Kevin on LinkedIn. Like I love his content. Um, I, I here's a piece that was really interesting. Did you have a chance to read that? Like you know, just try to find some common ground. Um, here's why I'm calling. Like I do think it's fair to tell people why you're actually reaching out. Here's what my company does. Super simple. Like I don't like to go into this whole monologue for like 20 minutes about it. And then, really, what I like to do is give people an out. I'll say you know, I want to schedule this demo for us. I want to really take some time for us to um, show you what our platform's capable of. If it makes sense for you, great. We'll continue the conversation. If not, no problem. We'll part ways amicably. Um, and that's kind of helped me a lot with cold calling. It gives them this feeling of an out. What happens most of the time is they don't need to take that out. And I can be respectful, obviously, if it's, if it's definitely not a fit. But if I feel like it's a fit, and I know that we can help their company, then I definitely stay on top of that lead, even if they tell me no. So I think, I think just kind of approaching them and giving them a little bit of leeway. So it's not like we're in a relationship, like it's almost like you're calling someone and you're like, in their mind, they're like, this person wants to marry me right now. Whereas I'm like, I just want to go on a date and see how it goes. And if it doesn't go well, like I don't want to go on a second date either. So it's, it's just taking it back a step a little bit. So we're, we're doing the audio right now, but if you guys just watch what Alexine did, we might have to find this, this clip. It's something that I teach a lot. It's called being a hands up prospector. Hey, like, look, I don't want to, like, she put her hands up. She pulls back. She's like, well, you know, if it's not a problem, it's not a problem. If, if it's not a good thing, and like, it's just like you give people that out. And so often what's taught in sales is this bulldog, aggressive, push for the meeting, blah, 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 blah. But they've actually, they've even studied this. If you allow someone to say no, they're actually mm -hmm. more likely to say yes because they don't feel pressure, right? It's like, look, if you don't have this problem, let me know, right? I'll, I'll back off because everyone loves to talk about upfront contracts in the demo, which I'm not a fan of at all. But I love upfront contracts and prospecting. Look, if you don't struggle with this, if you don't have this problem, if this isn't even something in your world, just tell me and I'll stop. Right. And I think that's a very important thing to give people is that out so they don't feel pressured. And you mentioned too the calm. It's actually why I'm not a huge fan of like the the stand and dial 
like mindset, right? Like mm-hmm. you see people get, all right, all right, everyone, call time. Let's get hype. Stand up. Motion creates emotion. It's like, okay, but that doesn't actually allow us to stay calm on a call. We're actually amping people up before they need yeah. to do something that they need to stay calm on. A few of my best SDRs and AEs ever, they prospected with their feet up. It was not mm-hmm. standing, right? It was sitting with their feet up because what that would allow them to do is stay in a calm, relaxed, conversational tone versus being up and all typey as they go through things. So I love yeah. that calming. Now, do you have any tactics on how you calm? You said deep breath. But like, what are some of the things that you do to get in the right mindset before making cold calls? Because people overthink cold calls all the time, right? Mm-hmm. They think about it, they get ready, they're prepping, they're doing their admin. Okay, all right, five minutes, I'm gonna make that call. Oh, wait, what do I got? You know, you know, how do you get ready for that blitz? I think that's actually a good thing, right? You're doing blitzes, you have times. Mm-hmm. Tuesdays and Fridays were my days, by the way. So I love that. Yeah. Tuesdays and Friday mornings, <laughs> those were my prospecting, like just gold. How do you get ready for a call blitz? How do you get ready for that prospecting Tuesday? Yeah. So I try to tee up. So I actually still use tasks in Salesforce. So I'm like, I don't know if I'm like a dinosaur of the CRM, you know, like of the Salesforce. Um, but I use tasks. So what I'm doing like throughout the week is if I'm sending an email, say on like Monday, Tuesday, I'll either throw that into my Tuesday kind of list or Thursday list so that I can do my next touch as a call. I don't do cadences that are automated a ton. If I'm being honest, that's not been my MO. But, um, so first and foremost, I get organized. Like I have like a certain subset of accounts I'm calling. The other thing I do, um, that's a little bit different within my tasks. I keep pushing forward, like my open tasks. So like whatever my open task is, um, every time I like do an email or a call, I close that out and put it in activity history. So in my open task, I can see everything I've done. I can do this from Salesforce too, but a lot of times I'll also put like snippets in there. Like Kevin, um, like soccer, um, has been with the company seven years, whatever, like something simple. Um, and that helps me a ton because I'm like, okay, here's like a key reminder. Or, um, if I see something cool, like if they got recent funding, I'll just pop that in there too. It's like, um, you know, just March just got 20 million, whatever. Um, so there's just things like that, that I leave in my notes. And that way, when I'm going to call, I have something to kind of work off of. Um, so that's kind of my main one is the CR. It's just like going through my task management system. And then the other one, which this is not like scientific whatsoever, I doodle a lot when I cold call. And I remember my VP of sales in my first job, he was like, what are you doing? Like, what is that sheet of paper? That looks crazy. And I was like, I don't know. But if it gets me through like 150 calls back to back, it's something about it helps me. So I think to your point, like your reps that are kicking their feet up, I'm doodling. Like we're all kind of like doing these things that are keeping our minds at ease. Another one is like, if you've seen those, um, fidget toys, like a lot of times I'll play around with those, um, because those kind of keep my mind busy too. So it's just little tactics, but at the end of the day, they're all psychological. It's distracting your parts of your mind so that you're not dumping a hundred percent of your energy into that call. And it doesn't feel like it's life or death. It's just another conversation and here your brain has something else to focus on in the interim. So that's, I think it's kind of a psychological tactic. So much of sales, so much of life is just psychological, right? How can we put ourselves in the right mental state to do whatever it is that we need to do, right? Fidget spinners. I was, so I'm a phone boxer, right? So I didn't sit for my calls, but like, I'd be like in a phone box. 
<laughs> yep. right? like you know like I'm just like walking within like my three foot square and like obviously you can see I talk with my hands a lot I would throw a ball in the air while making cold calls right just like something to keep it to keep it moving and grooving so that's phenomenal so now real quick I saw in your LinkedIn profile something called triple threat prospecting uh, so of course that catches my eye right? I'm like ooh, triple threat prospecting educate me what is triple threat prospecting <laughs> Yeah, so I'm going to say I coined it, but I probably didn't, but, um, but, but I'm sticking with it now because I've committed to it the last few years. Um, so this is my way of prospecting. Again, not a ton of science here, but basically what I do whenever I'm approaching an account, I like to get more touches in quickly and try to, I'm very impatient. That's part of my uh, ideology. And um, I did a call with Scott Lease actually yesterday. I mean, you know, Scott. And so we were talking about how we're both impatient and I feel the same way. But basically, this is my approach to kind of <laughs> using my impatientness to help me. But essentially what I do is my first, what I'll do is when I'm going to reach out to a new company. So say I want to prospect to you, Kevin. So I will go to your LinkedIn while I'm on your LinkedIn profile. You, I have it set so that you can see I viewed your profile. I'll pick up the phone, call your direct line. There's kind of like a 50-50 shot, you know, not even 50-50. It's like a 90-10 that you're not going to answer. Um, so then I leave a voicemail and I'll say, you know, hey, Kevin, this is Alex Dean calling. I wanted to reach out to you to discuss, you know, market research, whatever. Um, I'm actually going to shoot you over an email here in just a moment. So keep an eye out for that. It's going to be titled XYZ. And I'm looking forward to talking with you soon. And it's just like super simple. Like there's nothing really meaty in there. And then I'm sending that email right after that. So it's like in a two minute span, I've now, they've now seen my face, heard my voice, seen my writing. And I've also kind of pre-created a little bit of rapport in that I said that I was going to send an email and I did. Um, where this triple threat may change is video is starting to come up. So I'm starting to play around with some video. I'm not deep enough into it to like give any data points or actual tactical advice, but um, that may change things up too, because what, what used to be like where I would look at their LinkedIn profile, now that might become a quick voice message or a quick um, video where I'm just saying hi to you via video and then I'm trying to call and then I'm sending uh, an email that I referenced from that LinkedIn video. So this actually may change a little bit, but the whole idea behind all of this is get them used to who I am because what's happened with this a lot of times is I've done, like there was, for instance, several years back, there was this VP and no one had reached out to, or no one had been able to reach him for like seven, eight years. He'd been in our CRM system. You just like look down and it's like, da, 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 da. like, you know, call, email, call, email. Nobody catches this guy. So I do my triple touch. And I think I did a couple more like interactions on LinkedIn. Like I, I did a couple comments here and there. Like again, nothing crazy. Like it was just like, Hey, I read your article. This was a cool read. Thanks for posting it. I'm going to share it with my team whatever. And then what happened was as soon, when I finally caught this guy, it was like seven 30 or 8 AM. And I'm not a morning person. So I did, you know, I usually prefer night calls, but I happened to call at like seven 30 or eight. And the guy picked up on the first ring and I was like, Hey, this is Alexine. And he goes, I was waiting for you to call. I knew it was coming soon. And, and I was like, Oh, haha, you know, and I didn't even get to talk. And the guy's like, cool. So what I'm thinking is I'm going to have the rest of my um, talent acquisition team sit on this. We're going to schedule a demo probably for next week. And I was like, well, I haven't even spoken. Like this guy ran the entire call and he's their VP decision maker. Just took me through the entire process in 30 seconds. So I think that's the value of it is we can get these prospects to get to know us without getting to know us. It's the long game versus the short game. 
right? Is saying like, I was actually just on a webinar um, a few weeks ago. I was like, slow down to speed up results, right? It's not about getting the demo on that first LinkedIn connection or getting the demo on that first email or that first social touch. But when you try, you hurt your long-term success to be able to pull it off versus building that awareness, making them familiar with you, building some curiosity around like, who is this Alexine? I'm seeing her name pop up, right? And then you can go through all that. So slowing down a little bit to go through it. And I will quick tip, video, love video because of what you just said, because you can use video in all the channels, right? You can drop the video in their social. You can drop a video mm -hmm. in email. You can even drop video in text, right? So like now that one video can also be in your triple touch, right? It can yeah. go across all of them. So I would definitely give you some advice there, like go for it. Cause it, it does, it does so much, especially we've noticed this in COVID, right? As we're recording, yeah. right? This is still the, what I think happened in COVID, right? Everyone was like, you know, you know, email responses have come down, like connect rates have come down where we saw an increase with video is I think because we were able to actually get our tone across. Everyone was mm -hmm. talking about like leading with empathy, right? Like I hope you're doing okay in these challenging times. Right. But when you're writing that in an email, like they can read that however they want. You can't control the tone. Whereas in yeah. video, you control that tone. They can actually hear the empathy. They can actually hear like, oh, wow, like Alex can actually sound like she cares. This isn't just a templated email. So definitely give it a shot. I'm curious to see how it works for you because I feel like you're probably going to crush it. Because you I will. Yeah, I'll let you know. So <laughs> no. now, now you said something that, that caught me off guard here a little bit. You said you're very impatient but you're also a first degree black belt in Taekwondo. So when I think martial arts, I think discipline, I think patience, I think wax on, wax off, doing one <laughs> kick 10,000 times, but you're also impatient. So talk to me about that real quick because I love, I love hiring martial arts. Um, martial artists and gymnasts are two of like my favorite, called like micro pockets of salespeople because they've practiced things over and over and they understand discipline they understand different levels so talk to me about the correlation between martial arts and sales because i think this is a very cool topic and i'm also just i'm curious though like how can you be impatient and be a first degree black belt like i feel like those are very um opposite ends of the spectrum yeah no it's a fair that's a fair question um martial arts is interesting so i don't practice as a you know as much anymore, but I did for over a decade. I competed nationally. I was big in sparring. That was like my baby. I loved mm. sparring. Um, so when I did competitions, that's where I had the most fun. And I don't know if you know this about martial arts, but when you compete in these national competitions, there's usually three categories. It's sparring, breaking, and forms, uh, which is like where you do these long format um, uh, combinations of different like kicks and punches, things like that to create kind of this longer thing that was my least favorite so that's where the impatience comes in i love breaking and i love sparring sparring more than anything because um because i'm impatient but the forms was my least favorite because it's something that i would have to practice um we actually had to learn all of our forms in mirror image so you would have to flip them and do them backwards and once you get into like the ones after you get past like the blue belt like they're not that it's not get easy after that point to do them backwards so uh, so it's funny because martial arts for me was great for my impatience because when I was actually competing and sparring, you're only competing for like three minutes. I mean, it's, you're giving it everything and, it, and it's tough too, because you go back to back. Like you would, um, I competed at one 
national, there was one national competition and I think I had to do three fights back to back and you only get like a minute and a half in between each fight. So it was like crazy. I mean, I just did three like in a row and you're just exerting so much energy. So I do think in a way, like it was good for my impatience because I, that helped like me be a really good sparer. But Taekwondo as a whole, to your point, is like a very, in any martial arts, it's a very long process. Like to, for my black belt test, um, and my dad's probably going to like geek out. I'm definitely going to send this to him because he was such like an advocate of me doing Taekwondo. Um, but for your black belt test, I trained for an entire year for that. It was not like a, I, I did a couple months here. I trained for a year. And what I did was every single night before bed, I did a hundred knuckle push-ups on these concrete cylinders so that my knuckles could get like really, it, it gets crazy. Um, and then I did a hundred sit-ups. Um, I did a um, hundred of each type of kick because when you actually the day of it's like a six mine was like a six hour test it's not like a little like you go and like bow to someone it's like a whole test so it's kind of crazy to think about and then you have to actually break a brick um that's part of the test so you have it's like a lot you know like an actual it's not like a brick it's like a piece of concrete and you have to break it with your hand and so I trained for a year to get ready for that. And the funny thing is it has very little to do with strength and it's almost entirely psychological. So if you hesitate whatsoever, you can't do it. And so I think there's a lot, it, it relates a lot to sales because what happened was I didn't want to retake this test. I was like, I'm doing this one time and then I'm not coming, I'm not doing this test again after a year of preparation. So they always say, if you don't break the brick on the first try, you're going to have to retest. Like your hand's going to be gnarly. Like it's not going to happen. So I actually messed up and I'd been training for a year for it because I hesitated as soon as I was like about to hit it. And then I messed up in my hand. I had a bruise. I mean, I, nobody can see this, but it was like a seven inch bruise. My entire like started turning purple. It was swollen and they were like, cool, you can retest in a few weeks. And I looked at the person dead in the eyes and I was like, I'm, I'm, doing it now like we're going and they were like nobody does it the second time I'm like I'm doing it this I gotta get out of here so um so I ended up doing it and I broke it but not pretty whatsoever I mean it was not a nice yeah. bruise for several weeks yeah. well it's funny because I'm glad that you brought it back to preparing for that right because what I wrote down as you were talking is like you know you were talking about like the fights and the sparring and like you know that was like your time for like to get that impatience out but what I wrote down is you don't fight your way to a black belt Right, mm -hmm. you earn the black belt through years of preparing for one six-minute test, right? Because how often you said the fights were like this? I use this example to when I'm onboarding new reps all the time. That I bring up whatever sport they play, right? Mm -hmm. That test was what do you say? Six hours. Six hours. Six hours, right? And a fight was how many minutes? Three minutes. Right. How many? How many <laughs> fights did you do per month? Um, I mean, a ton, like, right. <laughs> like, probably, comp like competition, oh, competition wise, yeah. like not as many, just because right. those are like few and far between. Right. So how many hours were you putting in, in practice for that three minute fight? Oh, hundreds. Right. That's what I wish more salespeople understood is that hours, hundreds of hours for the preparation for that three minute fight, thousands of hours for that six hour test. Right. And if people could grab that and bring that over into their sales careers, how much better they can get. Cause we're blessed to be in a career that we can practice. Yeah. We can practice this, right? Like I can't walk out and start practicing to be a nurse. Like I can't just like stroll in and just like test 
putting IVs in people and like, see how I do. Like I got to go to school for a long time for it. And then, then I'm in right with sales. You can come in. Your story is phenomenal. You came in no experience. And now look at where you're at and also where you're going to go. Like I'm, I'm a fan right now. I'm a, I'm a track <laughs> your journey. I'm gonna see how far you go. Cause I see where, where this is heading. So now what I want to bring this back to real quick, right? So there's two final questions we're going to dive into. So the first I call the big three, right? Where it's like, you know, we've been talking full cycle. We've been talking mindset and psychology a little bit here. If they forgot everything that we've been talking about, what would be the three things you'd want them to remember when it comes to being a successful full cycle AE? If they could only, they forgot everything, they're like, okay, these are the three things that they walk away with. What would those three things be? Yeah. Good question. I think the first one, I don't like the always be closing thing. It's like overdone. I like always be prospecting, like always yes. be prospecting, keep it sharp, keep it tight. Um, and then this, the triple threat would be my second one. Like combine all of those channels, be it social phones, email, whatever it is, do the combo effect there, make it work. Um, and then the last one, I think the biggest piece relating to this overall topic is control your own destiny. Stop waiting for SDRs to fill your pipeline to do the work for you. You're in control of your own destiny. You're in control of your own paycheck. So just own that and go with it. It's the same advice I give to even my own SDRs um, and then my AEs who still prospect is never lose this skill. Mm -hmm. Because no matter where you go, if we're going head to head, right, you and I work at the same company, we're both AEs of equal skill set, but you're prospecting and I'm not. You're, you're going to beat me by miles, by miles, because I'm sitting back waiting for a pipeline from the SDRs and you're going and getting it plus getting things from SDRs if you're blessed to have SDRs on your team, mm -hmm. right? So it's a skill set that once you have, just take pride in it and never, never lose it. And that's it's just fun. It's going to be fired up. Like, I, I, like prospecting <laughs> is, is something where, I mean, my favorite part of the sale is like the, the demo and close. And that's why I got good at prospecting. Because the better I could get at prospecting, the more I got to do the thing that I love to do, right? And that was yeah. always what, what motivated me through. Now, the last question here is definitely like my favorite. So I like to end with it, right? Because when it comes to learning, <laughs> people are most likely to remember the start of something and the end of something. So that's why we do the big three. And then like this last question, right? Is the name of this podcast is Live Better, Sell Better right? Like focusing on the person in salesperson, because I do believe that carries over right? The better we are living, the better we are taking care of ourselves, the better we have like our mindsets, the better our sales will be. So what would be your parting advice to live better, right? To take better care of ourselves or to get more fulfillment or to lower our stress? Like what would be that live better advice you'd give people? Yeah. I mean, good question. Uh, there, I mean, I'm sure there's so many pieces of advice. I think for me, it's just like, listen to yourself, like figure out for me, if I'm having if I'm in a bad mood, like maybe I'm not picking up the phones right then. Maybe I go for a walk and go get a coffee. Like just listen to your body, listen to yourself. And if you, and make sure you're in the right mental place. So you're not, you know, putting off some kind of feelings on a prospect that they don't deserve to take in. Just make sure you're kind of just coming in with a good attitude that you're approaching things uh, lightheartedly and that you're having these good conversations. So these prospects have a really good memory of you and they remember you as kind of the fun cold call that they had today. Um, and then just personally, just so that you can, um, you know, learn to really listen to yourself, learn if you need to take breaks, especially with COVID. Like if you need to take like mental health is such a big topic right now. 
if you need to take a day and just like breathe and reset and go meditate or go for a walk somewhere or go to the burbs, whatever, go see your family, whatever it is, like this is a really good reminder. Like life is short. Take those moments if you need to and then come back re-energized and just hit it hard. I love that. Now I'm going to do a, I don't do a lot of follow-up questions to the live better, sell better question, but you said something there that I wanted to dive into. And you may have an answer to this. You may not. This is, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but it just, it jumped in my head. It's like, how can you tell the difference between needing to reset and procrastination? Right? Because a lot of people also will talk themselves out of doing the thing because they don't feel like it. Right. Or they don't, you know, like, I'm not in a good mood right now, or I am mm-hmm. too stressed mm-hmm. to make to make this call. Do you, um, I'm trying to think how to phrase it. Do you get what I'm asking though? Because like sometimes we can also tell ourselves that story of like, you know what, it's prospecting Tuesday today, but you know, I didn't sleep well last night and you know, I'm a little bit stressed over work. Like I'm going to push it. How do you find that balance between, I guess, pushing through or taking the step back? Yeah. I think that takes years to, I think it takes, I mean, there's probably people that are in their first year though, that know themselves better than I do. For me, it took me a while to understand mm-hmm. when am I actually like reaching kind of the end of my mental capacity, like that I'm really getting emotionally exhausted and drained versus I am being lazy. For me, I know when I'm procrastinating, like I can tell it's when I put it on my to-do list, I keep pushing it like a couple, like a couple days back and a couple days back that's procrastination. And I like can smell it. I know when I'm doing it. Um, for me, I know now it took me a while, but I know now when I need to just like reset or I need to take a minute. And it's when I feel both like mentally and physically drained. I think when it's like procrastination, it's like maybe just uh, mental. It's when it's like physically affecting you. I think that's when it becomes more of a, a reset situation. Like when it's, when it's everything all at once, that's a little bit different. Procrastination is where it's like kind of in my mind and it's like poking at me, but I'm like ignore, trying to ignore it a few different times. But once I feel it like in my bones, it's time to, time to take a breather. I think that's a phenomenal clarification. And I haven't heard it phrased that way. Like procrastination is mental. Burnout is physical, right? Like mm-hmm. you can feel it. You can feel it in your bones and your gut, like in your chest. Like, okay, I like that because it is because people will like, you know, this like in the role, I know it in the role and also leading people is like, we can start to tell ourselves that story of like, here's why I'm not doing what I need to do, but we're not able to distinguish whether or not we're just pushing it out or we need to take that break. So parting question, what's your favorite reset method, right? So, you know, you, you do, you get to that breaking point. You're like, yo, I need mm-hmm. to reset. What's your go-to? How do you recharge the Alexine batteries? Uh, zero technology in nature. So I, I spent my whole, I won't go too deep into it, but I spent my whole childhood, um, backpacking and rock climbing. I used to do trips for like three weeks at a time, like completely off the grid, no phone. Um, so I grew up kind of like, I would live, I lived in North Carolina in the summers and would like do this almost every year. Um, so for me, if I need to recharge, like that's where I'm headed into the woods and I'm turning my phone off. I mean, point blank. And if I really, really need a reset, then usually I will go, um, I do it a couple times a year. I go to North Carolina and, um, there's like an area that's heavy in backpacking and I'll go there and it totally just kind of feels like I'm plugging into a wall outlet and I feel my battery just like boom right up. So I think there is something to, I mean, we're all animals at the end of the day. So I think there's some kind of, you know, 
thing to be said there where we are, but I mean, realistically, we were supposed to be in nature and that's where we're supposed to spend our time. So for me, that's how I reset. I just get back to nature. I try to turn my phone off and try to just kind of focus on what's around me and just get centered and then come back to the phone's going to be there later. So it's true. It's true. We might have to do a follow-up episode just to get your full backstory. This nationally competing first degree black belt backpacking <laughs> rock climber sales person. There's a lot to unpack there. We might have to do a follow-up <laughs> just to get that story. So absolutely amazing, Alexine. This was so good. Thank you so much. Where can people find you? Where can they get more of you? Like what are like anything you'd want to plug here at the end? Yeah, I think for me, it's just LinkedIn. I am on LinkedIn Maven. So connect with me on there, message me if you have questions or you're testing out new methodologies. I love kind of talking back and forth with people and hearing how things are going. I have some people that are testing like video right now that have been sending me their video prospecting tests run. So, um, you know, I love talking to new people. I love meeting new people. Um, and then if you are kind of starting out in sales, I teach for three different programs. Uh, one is called Rework Training. One is called Victory Lap, and the last one is called Aspireship. So if you're looking for more of like sales training resources and programs that will help you kind of level up your skill set or get you used to sales, those three programs are a great place, and I'll be guest instructing for them. So see you on one of those two. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, thank you so much for your time, your energy, and your knowledge this morning. We greatly appreciate it. Till next time. Thank you so much. Until next time. Thank you.